All right, open your Bibles. Gospel of Mark. We've been studying Mark since the beginning of the year. We're in chapter 10. One of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Mark. I love this story. There's so much to cover. We've got limited time to do it. And the question that we're going to be asking today as we study Mark chapter 10, verses 17 to 31, the question that this is the story of this rich guy that comes up to Jesus, this rich young ruler, and he asks him this question. And it's actually going to be our question for today because it's a perfect question. What must I do to be saved? That's our question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is this is the, the most important question anyone can ever answer. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? Last week, we saw that, that Jesus is interacting with his disciples, and, and he said this. He said, if, unless you come like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. The disciples are trying to keep the children out. The disciples are saying these kids aren't valuable, like all the people who don't serve in kids' church. You see how I slipped that in there real quick? Like, so, so yeah, if, that's, if, that, if that convicted you right there, make sure to see Holly right after the service. Um, the, disciples, the disciples are trying to keep the kids out, and Jesus is like, you've got it all wrong. Kids are the only ones who will make it in. Now, not kids, but people who, who have that childlike faith. That's not ignorance. It's not even innocence, because kids are sinners. We're all sinners. What Jesus was saying is that you have to come and receive it. It's a gift. You can't work for it. You have to receive it. Now, it's likely that the guy we're about to meet heard last week's sermon. Not the sermon, but, you know, Jesus' stuff of that. Because this guy is in the the region. And so keep this in mind, even as we answer this question. It really is the most important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? So let's look at the text. Here's what it says. Verse 17, as Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem. So he's... He's leaving this region, and it's the last time he's going to be in that region. We've spent a couple of chapters in this region, and now Jesus is starting out. He's getting on the road, and he's heading toward Jerusalem. This is where he's going to be convicted, tried, convicted, and hung on a cross. So Jesus knows that this is is it. He's He's on the way to really what he came to do, to do what he came to do, which is to die for our sins. So he's, he's leaving this, this area, and it says a man came running up to him. Now this guy probably knew that he, the rumor had probably gotten around. He probably had heard that Jesus was leaving. I'm sure that people had seen the disciples packing up, getting their stuff ready, and, and so word got to this rich young ruler that Jesus is leaving. And so you, see, you can see the desperation in this rich young ruler He runs up to Jesus, he kneels down, and he asks our question for today. He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now right there, first of all, right there, I want to make sure that you understand that this guy is thinking about it in terms of works. He's thinking about it in terms of effort. Now we're going to come back to this, but I want you to keep this in mind that that this guy's understanding of salvation was that he had to keep this list of rules. He had to do a certain amount of things. Maybe he was thinking, I've got to do some 
good things to outweigh the bad things in my life. But So this guy really is a guy that we can relate to in our culture today because I, I think so many, so many seekers have this same question. Well, if that's you today, I, this, this message is for you because we're gonna see Jesus' answer to this question. But before Jesus answers the question, he backs up and he asks another question. He says, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. See, Jesus understood the underlying issue, and I, and I, I think it's important for us to understand the underlying issue when it comes to salvation. The underlying issue, the biggest question isn't actually what must I do. The biggest question is, who do you think Jesus is? Because as we're going to see, I'm going to ruin it right now. I mean, this is the, I, I should be saving this for them, but I'm going to tell, tell you the secret right now. The, the, the answer to the question, how, do I, how, do I be, how can I be saved, is to trust in Jesus. It's to trust in Jesus. It's that there's actually not a list. There's not a, a bunch of rules that you can keep. It's, it's actually so simple, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to believe that salvation comes simply by trusting in Jesus. There are so many verses that we could go over today that explain this. Over and over and over again, the Bible affirms that we're saved by grace. We're not saved by what we can do. We saw that last week. The children come and, and Jesus said, let the children come to me because because these are the ones who will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Children, people like children, people who recognize they're powerless, they recognize that they need a gift, they're the ones who receive the kingdom of heaven. And here this guy is, and maybe he even heard that, what Jesus taught about receiving like a child, but he didn't fully process it, he didn't fully understand it. Again, maybe there are some of you here today who've been coming and, and you're trying to really understand, you're really trying to ask and answer this question for yourself, like you really want to be saved. And so Jesus' first question to you is the same question he asked this guy, who do you think Jesus is? The most important question you could ever ask and answer is who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? Because a proper understanding of Jesus will lead up to a proper understanding of yourself. And this guy didn't properly understand Jesus, but there's just a little bit of a hint that he had an idea. See, a Jewish person back then would never have called a rabbi a good rabbi because good was something that you would only ascribe to God. And so Jesus is, is interested to know what this guy actually thinks about Jesus. Who, who is Jesus to this guy? Only God is good. In other words, Jesus is asking him, do you understand that I am God? And the guy didn't quite understand that. The disciples were still trying to understand that. But Jesus goes on and, and answers this question. He says, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. And then he lists them out. Now, I want you to count these as I read them out. You can just do that right there on your fingers. You don't need to take your shoes and socks off for this because it's not more than 10, but I want you to just count these. He says, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Now, if you counted along with me, this was a pretty easy assignment. 
There's six commandments, but do you know how many commandments there are? There are 10 commandments. But Jesus only lists out six of the commandments. And by the way, I want to make sure that you understand the way that the commandments are organized, the first four are what we would call vertical commandments. They're commandments about how, how to think about God, how to relate to God. Like the first one is don't have any other gods before me. And those first four commandments are, are about your relationship with God, and the last six commandments are the ethical commandments. They're commandments about your relationship with people. You remember how Jesus, when the Pharisees said, what's the most important law of all the laws? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. He was basically summarizing the Ten Commandments. Love God, first four. When you do that right, you can love your neighbor as yourself. So when you get your relationship with God right, you can get your relationship with people right. You see why Jesus said, why do you call me good? He wanted, he wanted to know what this guy thought about who he was. He, wanted, he was asking this deeper question about his understanding about God. But then to answer his question, the surface question, he just put out the ethical commandments. He just put out the, the relationship, you know, the, the commandments, the last six commandments about relationship with people. He said, have you murdered anybody? Have you committed adultery? Are you a thief? Have you testified falsely in court? Are you a cheater? Have you cheated anyone in your life? Have you honored your father and mother? And so he's, Jesus is setting this guy up with these Six commandments, but he's not giving all of them. And I love it what it says next here in verse 20. The, the man replied, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Now, we don't really know if he like cut him off. We don't know if Jesus was gonna get to the other four or not, but whatever. Like he's like, I've obeyed all these. This is great. Like I, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't murdered anybody. This is great, I'm not a murderer. And this guy was feeling pretty good about himself. Because remember, his question was, what, what are the things I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus is, is starting to answer the question, and he, and he begins to pull the curtain back on, on, on the heart of God for people and, and on like the pathway to salvation. And a Jewish person would think about it in these terms. They, they would think about keeping a list of rules, and the ultimate list of rules is, is the Ten Commandments. And so this guy was genuinely excited when, when Jesus lists out these six commandments, and he's like, I've been working on this. And then Jesus, it says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now I want to pause here for a second and point something out. It's easy for us at first to think of this guy like the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these self-righteous people who thought they were all that, and Jesus did not feel genuine love for them. Jesus was calling them out. He was pointing out their hypocrisy. But I think there's something to be said for this, that Jesus looked at the man and he felt genuine love for him. I don't think this guy was a hypocrite. I think this guy represents the people, and I've met people like this. In fact, we're baptizing two people like this in the next service. People that are genuinely trying to honor God with their life, but they're still missing the point. They're not self-right, you know, there are two kinds of rule followers. There's like the self-righteous rule followers who think that that's gonna get them to heaven. And then there's this other kind of rule follower that I think this rich man is. I think there's this guy that just, he just doesn't really know. He doesn't have the full information. 
that he really truly is trying to honor God with his life. He just doesn't really know who Jesus is. Because Jesus looks at this guy and he genuinely felt love for him. He's like, I really, I really love this guy. Like he's a, he's a genuine pursuer. Have you met people like that? I mean, we've all met those self-righteous people who are keeping the list and, and they want to make sure that you know they're keeping the list. I don't think that's this guy. I think he's a guy that just really wants to love people. Like he really, he really wants to love his neighbor, but he doesn't know Jesus yet. And Jesus loved this guy. And then he said this. There's still one thing you lack. There's one thing you haven't done. Notice he's still using the language of works. There's still one thing you haven't done. And he said, go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Here's what I think is happening in this story. Jesus lists the last six commandments. The guy felt like he had done pretty well with those things, but he didn't really understand what God had to do with it. He thought it was all about him. He didn't understand the essence of the first four commandments. And the first commandment was, have no other gods before me. And this guy's God was his money. This guy's idol was his money. And so essentially, Jesus is just getting at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And he recognized that this guy had elevated something to that place in his life where he was serving his possessions and his money instead of God. And so the answer was real simple. Like to see if, to see if he was willing to obey the first commandment, it was really simple for him. He just applied it to him. He says, just go sell everything you have. Now, by the way, this isn't a, this isn't a commandment to all of us. When we read this, this I, need, you need, I need you to know that like, you don't have to sell all your possessions and give the poor. This isn't what Jesus is saying is that this is how you're saved, is if everybody just sells all their possessions. That would be misinterpreting this. What Jesus is saying is if there's something in your life that you love more than God, then you're not ready for God. So for a lot of us, it probably is money. Uh, this message is so good for us because we're, we're all rich people. Every one of us. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not that rich. Look, you're rich. You're wealthy. You, you, if you were born in this country, if you live in this country, if you, if you drove here in a vehicle that you own, you're top 2% wealthiest people in the world. We're all rich. And I think it's really easy to sort of elevate elevate money and possessions and to start serving that instead of God. So for many of us, this really is something we should take personally, that we should, that we should evaluate whether, whether there's another God in our life. But for some of you, it might not be money at all or possessions. For some of you, maybe it's family. You know, I think family, family's good. By the way, money's not bad. Idols aren't bad things Idols are good things that become ultimate things, and you, you lose your focus. And so money's not bad. Money is a gift from God. Money is amoral. It's not immoral. If you're rich, you're not a bad person, but you're also not a good person if you're rich. But something that, something that takes the ultimate place in our lives is what Jesus is calling out. And so, so for some, it's money. For some, it might be family. 
For some, it might be your reputation. I don't know. You need to fill in the blank for yourself. We don't have time to get into those details. The Holy Spirit will have to make that clear to you. But, but the point is that this guy, this guy understood the ethical commandments, but he didn't really understand that God had to be at the top. And so he went away sad. But our story's not done because just like we've been seeing all throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus has this interaction with someone outside of his inner circle, and then he always turns to his inner circle. I'm so glad for this because we get to learn more when he teaches his disciples. It says in verse 23, Jesus looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. I love it says that he looked around. He like looked he looked, I think the, the original Greek there is he looked intently at his disciples. I think that he turned around. To, I mean, they were watching this whole interaction, and this rich man walked away, and he went away sad, and then Jesus turns around and just focuses in on his disciples. Have you ever experienced that when someone just, like, looks intently at you? You're like, there's something wrong with me? Is my zipper down? Like, what's going on here? Why are you focusing? Husbands, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes your wife is just like really locked in and it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Like, what am I forgetting here? Is it my anniversary? No. Is it your birthday? No. Like, why are you so focused right now? I'm starting to get a little bit uncomfortable. This is how I think the disciples felt. Like, Jesus is like locked in on them. He's locked in on them because he wants to teach them this lesson. And we're his disciples. So he's locked in on you right now. Jesus is locked in on you right now, and he wants you to hear this lesson. And here's the lesson. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. That is a lesson that is directly applicable to us. And it says that this amazed them. But Jesus said it again. He said it again twice. Dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he said it three times now. He really wanted them to hear this. It is hard. It is hard. It is hard. Now hold on a second. If you've been coming to Alpine for this, the last six, eight months, like we've been saying, it's easy. It's easy. And Jesus is saying it's hard. We've been saying it's easy. You put your faith in Jesus. You trust him for salvation. And the Bible says in a moment, you become a follower of Jesus. And yet Jesus is saying it's hard. In fact, when he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, I used to think that that was talking about the camel in, in a, gate, a gate in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle, and a camel would have to like get on its knees and crawl, basically crawl through the gate. But actually, that's not what it's talking about at all. Jesus is just, he's just thinking of the biggest animal that they could think of, which was a camel, and the smallest opening he could think of, which is the eye of a needle. That's all. It's really simple. He's just like, can you picture a camel going through the eye of a needle? And everyone was like, no, that's ridiculous. That's hyperbole. There's, you, that can't even happen. That's impossible. That's impossible. That's exactly what Jesus is trying to get across. It is impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it says the disciples were astounded. There it is again. They were amazed and now they're astounded. And then they said, then who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently again. See, again, again, he looked at them intently. He wanted to make sure they were paying attention. He wanted to make sure that they heard the next bit. 
And he said this, humanly speaking, it is impossible. But not with God. Everything is possible with God. And so Jesus was communicating to them that, that there's, only, there's only one way to enter the kingdom of heaven. There's only one way to inherit eternal life. And, it, and it's all God. You can't do it. You can't keep the list of rules. Because you think that those six rules are all that you need, but no, then you realize that those other four, and you realize that there's all these implications of the other four, in particular, like not putting any other God before God, and you realize, man, I can't keep, hold on, because they're thinking about this way. If he can't do it, we can't do it. I can't keep these rules. And Jesus said, yeah, but, but God can make it happen. Just like we learned the week before, last week, you have to just come to him like a child. You're powerless. It's impossible. And so what do you do? What did we learn last week? You just receive a gift. You receive a gift. It's so hard to receive a gift when you're trying to work for it. But as soon as you work for it, it's not a gift anymore. Tracy and I got to visit our, our church in Ensenada that we support. We have a we have a 10th, I don't know if you knew this, but we have a 10th campus. We have another campus in Ensenada. It's our really, really south campus, Ensenada, Mexico. And, and they had their 13-year anniversary on Thursday night, and they invited us down to, to be a part of that. And, and what, while we went down there, we were able to go out to this encampment where these indigenous people are living in just heartbreaking conditions. They work in the fields 12 hours a day, back-breaking work. And then they literally live in these little huts, dirt floors, no furniture, hardly any food. It's heartbreaking. And we went and visited, and as we went there, Rene, our, our Latino pastor, and he's our kind of our missionary down there. He's amazing. He said, hey, we're not going to go up there empty-handed. So on the way there, we stopped, and we, we got just a bunch of snacks at the 7-Eleven. It wasn't a 7-Eleven, but it was something like that. And when we got there, we got to hand it out. That's where they lived. This experience was so different than if we would have brought snacks today. I mean, nothing against our kids, but our kids have that every day. These kids, it's, it was hard to explain, like, the look on these kids' faces. We, the van drove up, and these kids, like, flocked to the van, because they knew us, they knew this fan, they knew whenever we come, and we come maybe a couple times a year is all, but they flock to the van, and the look on their faces receiving their gifts, it was so precious, because they were poor, and this was unique, this was truly a gift to them, they, weren't, they didn't feel entitled, they're not spoiled, and it was such a picture of how we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus, we come to Jesus with nothing. But how hard is it for people who think they have something to offer? How hard is it for people who think they have money in their pockets, like righteousness? But the Bible teaches that we all come to him and we have nothing. We have nothing to give. We have nothing to offer. And that's the only way that we can receive his gift is when we recognize that we're like those children. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach 
And this passage of scripture ends with Peter speaking up. And whenever Peter speaks up, like you got to kind of buckle in because you're like, oh boy, what's he going to say this time? (laughs) And once again, Peter puts his foot in his mouth. He says, we've given up everything to follow you. (laughs) Oh, it's so funny. I mean, just think about this for a second. Literally, Jesus told this rich man, you've got to give it all up. You've got to give it all up and then come and follow me. And Peter's like, yeah, that's what we did. We did that, Jesus. We gave it all up to follow you. And Jesus said, yes. And I assure you that everyone who's given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, and mothers, children, and property along with persecution. Like that's the promise. You give it all up, great. Here's what you're gonna get. You're gonna get persecution and that's what the early church got. And then he says, and in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. And here it is again. Jesus is talking just about this. I mean, we've just seen these themes over and over and over as we've studied the Gospel of Mark. He's just talking about this kingdom upside down, that you have to be like a child to receive the kingdom. And you have to come to him and be willing to give up your idols for him. Now, I think that it would be wrong of us to move on from this passage without actually talking about finances. Because I think the bigger message here is how am I saved? How do I get saved? And we've learned that now. It's by coming to him like a child, poor, penniless, nothing to offer, and recognizing that he gives you this gift that you can't work for, you can't earn. That's the main message for today. But before we're done, I just, I have to say something about giving, because Jesus did say it's hard for rich people to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And later on, Paul taught Timothy this, he said, teach those who are rich in this world, that's us, not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who gives richly everything that we need for our enjoyment. Tell those rich people to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You know, Jesus is is actually telling this rich guy, like, you need to make sure that you don't use your riches to serve yourself, use your riches to serve the kingdom. And so I want to just say that to you, because we're all rich. Let's use our riches to serve the kingdom. God has blessed us. He has blessed us. How short-sighted it is to invest in this life that might go 70, 80, 90 years. How short-sighted is that when eternity is forever? Jesus is saying, invest in eternity, treasures that will last. And I, I, I don't know if you noticed, as you came in today, we set up a giving wall, just right outside the door here, this giving wall. And we're gonna put this up every once in a while. This is the first time we put it up. We used to have a giving tree, and we thought about putting up a giving tree, but we're like, well, it's not Christmas. Maybe that'll really confuse people. Um, so we said, why don't we do a little giving wall? And that giving wall, for, for right now, for the next few weeks, that giving wall represents 
probably twenty or thirty thousand dollars. You saw all these tags on the giving wall. There's hundred dollar tags and fifty dollar tags and twenty five dollar tags. And notice we put the twenty five dollar tags down where the kids can grab them. A little bit lower. And the point to this is when we clear this wall, that's going to represent, I don't know, something like twenty dollars or $30,000 that is going to go toward our Syracuse building fund because here's a cool announcement. We got the Syracuse property. We closed on it. Yeah. We announced it last week to Syracuse. They were so excited about it. And, that, and today to our, all, of our other, all of our other campuses and online, so it's right on Antelope Road, right across from the pizza factory. It's going to be such a cool location for our Syracuse campus. But we still have some giving to do to make that happen. And so all of our campuses are, are doing this giving wall. And here's what we're inviting you to do. is to grab as many tags as you can. And when you grab a tag, literally just grab it off the wall. And, you know, maybe you're going to grab a few of them. I would encourage families... Do this with your kids. Have the kids grab a couple of those lower tags, and maybe you grab a couple more tags, and let's grab some tags off the wall. And then just make sure in the next week you can go online and, and to, our don to, to donate, and if you just donate, choose Giving Wall, and it says Syracuse Building Fund. Just make sure that we don't need the tag back, okay? We don't need the tag back. You can hang on to those tags. But we want to, we, this is kind of going to be a good visual reminder for us to see how we're doing as a campus. And we are a little bit competitive. I'm not going to lie to you. We're a little bit competitive. So I'm going to be a, taking a picture of this giving wall at the end of the day. And I'm going to be shoving it in the face of the other campus pastors. And hopefully we have more tags gone than they do. But grab some of those tags and then just make sure to give that amount in the next week. You can write a check for it in the memo line, write giving wall. Or if you're going to give online, just make sure to choose the giving wall and so that we make sure those funds go to that. But I'm excited over these next couple of weeks to see us clear off this giving wall and show our support for the Syracuse campus. And so I just want to encourage all of you that, that God has blessed us and he's blessed us to be a blessing. He's blessed us so that we can bless others. That church in Ensenada, we support them pretty significantly. And they feel so blessed that we give them money every month to do ministry. Here's what I love about that church. They, they've turned around and they're blessing those kids we just saw, orphanages, other churches. Like they're not, they, we told them you can do whatever you want with this money. And they're taking that giving and they're turning around and investing in their community with it. Man, what, a, what an example for us. Let's have that heart as well. Let's be givers. So this question that we started with, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You don't have to take tags off the wall to inherit eternal life. You don't even have to sign up for Kids Church to inherit eternal life. I hope you do those things. Jesus did it all. Jesus paid the price for us. What's impossible for us, humanly speaking, is possible with God. And I want to encourage you to see Jesus for who he is and come to him and trust in him for salvation. If you've never done that, I just want to invite you to do that even today. Come grab us afterward and say, I want to learn more about how to do that. I want to learn more about how to become a Christian. Like I'm that guy that came up to Jesus and asked him this question. We'd love to walk with you and introduce you to the Jesus of the Bible. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your, just for your teaching. We thank you for the simplicity of your message. 
This guy that thought that he could, he could do something to earn his way into heaven. You taught him that it doesn't work like that, and I'm so glad it doesn't. Because I recognize that I can't keep even the Ten Commandments, let alone all the implications of those commandments. And none of us can. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. Thank you, Jesus, that you went to the cross and died on the cross for our sins. That you set us free when we would trust in you for salvation. And God, I pray that that would change us. I pray that that would transform us from the inside out. I pray that that would make us generous people. I pray that that would make us loving people. People that would look outward and would want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And God, I pray that you would form that kind of faith in each one of us. And we'll give you all the glory and all the praise for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.